Welcome back to the Magic Minds Podcast. I'm Matt Burke. What's the crack? How are you getting on? I got some great feedback about the interview last week with Mark Germain. It was brilliant that he came on the show and he was able to share some amazing knowledge and insights to weight cutting and weight loss and performance in boxing. It was well received actually by his own community, people around the boxing, people that are, are working with other athletes or people that are working on sports performance got on to me and sent me uh, emails and also texts and messages on Facebook. So I was absolutely delighted with that. From a personal point of view, I love just sitting down having a conversation. I studied sports science a couple of years ago, but I'm well out of the loop now. So to me, it was just like sitting out and watching my favourite movie. It was just listening, listening uh, and gaining so much information and knowledge that I can apply to my own training or to my own classes that I teach in the hospital. So it was an absolute honour to have somebody like that. I'd love to actually get more people in the sport industry, the sports science industry, you know, whether that be pharmacology, whether it be biomechanics, anything in that that I could gain some knowledge from and I can share with people because I know people get a lot of education from that because there's a lot of bullshit going around in clubs and people have theories on things but to hear it from a, a sports scientist of his calibre was brilliant and I was absolutely delighted okay so on the show today I have a friend and colleague Rose Cortis Rose Cortis is an occupational health nurse in the National Rehabilitation so she looks off after all the health in the hospital as I say she's a friend and colleague and uh, she's had a huge impact on me personally and professionally in my career in the National Rehab so why would I have her on the show because it's a really important role. You know, we spend a lot of time in work. Most of your life is spent in work with the people you work with. So it's really important that you look after your health. So to have somebody of Rose's knowledge and experience in the hospital is just phenomenal. And, you know, from an Oc Health point of view, you know, she's no Mary Harney. What you see with Rose Cortis is what you get. Like she, she promotes health. She's inclusive in the hospital. She's involved. She creates initiatives. You know, she, she really looks out for people, mind, body and soul. You know, if you're not into physical activity, there's other stuff that can be going on in the hospital that she, she'll point you in that direction. You know, it's not all about the physical when it comes to health. And she's a great advocate herself for it because, as I say, she's involved in my class. She's involved in other people's classes. She's fit as a fiddle herself. She's forever setting uh, challenges physical challenges she's always looking to improve whether it be any kind of her her fitness or health you know she's open to learning i've lent her books she's lent me books we have amazing conversations about anything to do with health mind body and soul so to just have her on and give us her insight to the role that she does you know as i say i'm working in the national rehab now eight years and i've dealt with her so many times as i say personally and professionally and she's been a real real influence on my career but I know also from talking to other people in the hospital, everyone gets the same treatment. As I say, she is a friend and colleague, but she doesn't treat me with any uh, specialties. She treats everyone with the same stick. She, Everyone gets the same treatment right across the board. And that's what I love about her. She promotes equality and she practices what she preaches, whether that be in her role or, or, or in our, our pursuit of achieving a healthy lifestyle. So it was brilliant to get her on the show today. So we kind of just cover our own background insights of what she does the initiatives that's going on in the hospital how to mind your own mental health mind yourself how to stay healthy as a professional uh, and kind of her attitudes to to being in our health and how she goes about it like as i say we've got 400 no i think we've 500 from the interview i remember we've nearly over 500 staff in the national rehab and they all go in and out of her office at some time and that's a huge responsibility you know and i just 
do be blown away sometimes that the job that she does and as I say the people nobody I know is more suited to a role in the hospital than she is so have a listen to the interview and let us know what you think okay so we're live welcome to the magic minds podcast I'm Matt Bourke on the show today I have friend and colleague Rose Cortez how are you Rose hi Matt how are you welcome to the magic minds podcast Thanks very much. I'm absolutely delighted to have Rose on the show today. Rose is the occupational health nurse from the National Rehabilitation Hospital. So I've asked Rose to come on the show today. So just to give us an insight what it's like to be the Oc Health nurse for such a big hospital and the impact that has on her role and anything we can learn for healthcare professionals or anything we can take take away as a professional to look after health in this time of the year. Like a January is a tough time for everybody. So Rose, give us a little insight to your background as an Oc Health nurse? Okay, so uh, an Oc Health nurse, you just don't do one qualification. So you start off as a general nurse. I trained in Cork many years ago. Um, and from there, I did a postgrad in dialysis nursing. I worked in Beaumont Hospital for a number of years. Then I actually worked in care of the elderly for several years. I did that in Guernsey after I had worked in Baghdad and worked in America. So I've worked around a fair bit. And then I decided that the whole area of staff health was very important and that it was something I was interested in. So the qualification that I had to do was uh, health and safety, occupational health and safety. So I did a diploma and then I did a Bachelor of Science in Occupational Safety and Health Management and then through that, I got this role. So extremely lucky to get this role because you look at staff from the get go when they start in an organization until they finish. So you get them the ups and the downs. So it's a fantastic job, really wide ranging. Wow, fantastic. Just go back to what you just said there. You worked in Baghdad. Give us a little insight to that. Yeah. What were you doing over there? I was nursing on a newer award. So I worked in Baghdad during the Iran-Iraq war. Really? Yeah, I'm a war vet, Matt. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> so when I qualified, there was no jobs in Ireland. And, uh, we, you know, everything was just temporary contracts. We couldn't even get that. So uh, there was an Aer Lingus company were recruiting nurses to go out and work in a hospital that Saddam Hussein had actually built to look after his staff as such and all of his soldiers and their families. So, yeah, there was 400 Irish people working over there. What was that experience like? That was really bonkers. Oh, we had the best fun. We we worked very hard and we had absolutely fantastic fun. Learned loads, absolutely loads. We all lived together in a compound and worked very close by to the compound we were in. And it was fantastic. What was What's the difference between the healthcare system over there and here, even back then? We... The healthcare system that we had at that time was it was a tertiary referral hospital. So what that meant was um, you had to be referred through another hospital. So it was only the cream of the cream got into our hospital. So there was no health service essentially for the local people. But Saddam's army and their families, the officers and their families were very, very well taken care of. Wow. I had a proposal and everything then, Matt, you know, in those days. I'm not surprised. Yeah. From yeah. who? Actually, I, uh, the Neuro Ward that I worked on, they also did gynae investigations. So looking at reasons for infertility in women. 
And there was a lady there who found out she couldn't have children. and She was very sad. But she approached me and said that, you know, would I explain to her husband that she wasn't going to be able to have children, but that she would like me to be the second wife. <laughs> Brilliant. You were nearly part of a harem. I nearly was. Absolutely. Jeez, I'm sure yeah. Bruce wouldn't be too happy about that. <laughs> well, you'd never know. Could have got a couple of goats and a couple of camels for you. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, grand, what do they do with these two bad boys? <laughs> Brilliant. That's fucking excellent. What a story. So come here, tell me, what does your day look like? What do you do in the National Rehabilitation Hospital? Because I know you produce magic and you had a huge impact on my career and support me as a professional. Do you know, Matt, that's such a good question. And I, I come in in the mornings and I have, before I go home every day, I leave a list of what my plan is for tomorrow and what I hope to achieve. And I come in and the day takes off and I I don't know. I end up leaving without ever having got near the list some days. But really what I do is I do pre-employment. So any new staff member or any prospective staff member, once they've been offered a job, they have to contact occupational health and they have to do a health assessment. So that's a big role. We have over 500 staff. So there's constant movement of staff all the time. Say I came back to work last week, haven't been off over Christmas. And I've probably seen about 10 new prospective staff in that week now as such so seeing new staff would be a big part but then staff who've been off would link in with me on their way back to work staff who are pregnant would link in with me for pregnancy risk assessments um and that's apart from all of the committee work so essentially doing all of the um flu vaccinations all of the ordinary vaccine programs the hepatitis b vaccine programs all of those things so anything that relates to staff health really is something that i'd be drawn into if someone has been off sick for more than um two weeks i'll hear about it or if they've had a workplace injury i'll have to follow up on it so it is so varied and so far-reaching it's it's the best job in the hospital how there's nearly 400 is there over 400 staff nearly in the 500 over 500 so there's nearly 500 how do you manage over 500 i know it's nearly like the turnstiles for most staff i don't know another place in the hospital other than the canteen that people would come through everyone seems to come through here they come through you how do you manage that how does one person do that um so so uh, really there's a small amount of people take the most amount of time so an awful lot of people I would see when they start and I might not see ever again or I might only see once a year if they're coming for their flu vaccine or, you know, one thing or another, but it might only be once a year. And other people then, if they're unlucky enough to have things going on in their lives that they need a bit more support, you'll see them more often. But in general, the peer support in this organisation is absolutely amazing absolutely amazing and that's the greatest support that people have here so I actually don't have that much to do I didn't say that out loud <laughs> you get a re- reduction in your wages now because of that yeah just back to what you said there the peer sport when mm-hmm. I came in 2010 around the downturn in the economy and all that I don't think there was as much probably as camaraderie or you know people were as bright-eyed and said hello that has changed a lot have you noticed that or am i just imagining that no you're not imagining that i as i recall that time people were very much focused on survival of holding on to their jobs of trying to pay the bills and not rocking the boat and so 
they were not getting caught up in anything else they were just it was really paired back to basics so people weren't able to kind of voice concerns about stuff and they weren't complaining and I don't mean complaining for the wrong reasons I mean just being able to air concerns about stuff because they were just afraid of services being paired back and people losing jobs so I think we were very much heads down trying to get through it and I've seen that on the corridors because I came as a student in 2010 I'd be going around and be saying hello to people and you know I'm very sociable but people there wasn't a lot of eye con- contact mm. but I see a total change now going around the hospital you know heads up interchange between different departments physios OTs there's a lot more intertwining of work yeah, I I think you're dead right. And I think there's been a huge amount of work has gone into all the interdisciplinary working. And I think the way that that teams have come together, interdisciplinary teams are just doing phenomenal work and they're, they've gelled much better. Um, instead of just being homogenous groups that all of the physios sit together and all the OTs sit together, that people are just better at mixing than they were back in, you know, 10 years ago, that we're much better at it now and we're doing those teams in different ways. We're working smarter for the benefit of our patients, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, I think there is a huge increase on interdisciplinary, isn't there? Yeah. Support us and working together, like physios and OTs and speeches and all that kind of thing. They're doing joint sessions. They're working together with patients and they're also then supporting each other a whole lot better which is giving that stronger peer support and it's just phenomenal really. yeah and i was listening to a, an interview today with rebecca o'connor the music therapist and she was just highlighting her role as a therapist but the the impact that she would have with physio ot speeches they're all seem to be involved now in the, the the delivery of the rehabilitation definitely yeah absolutely it's a big process this is a, a stressful time and there's a lot more demand on healthcare workers, healthcare professionals. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of that. What are some of the struggles that people are having on a daily basis in in healthcare profession, let's say? I think um, people are juggling more. They have less time to do more work. Um, so we have a lot more demands on us in terms of paperwork whether that's e-paper or not but you know report writing is those demands there's more audits being done the the standards that we have to achieve and maintain those standards are becoming higher and higher we have we have HICWA we have CARF all the time those standards are being raised the bar is going higher and higher our patients coming in are becoming more and more complex and so when you start loading on the pressure and the resilience and the toll you know the resilience of our staff to be able to juggle all of that is really hard so I think that's it's an awful lot of the time it's frustration people want to be able to give more time to each element of their job and it's just not there so instead of being able to give everything 100% they have to give a lot of things maybe 80% and for the perfectionists here that bothers them yeah I would struggle with that and I find the more the demand has come from the documentation, the admin side, and as a therapist and a healthcare professional, I feel like you're getting further away from the patient then. Not saying that's what we do as an organisation, mm. they are my perceptions, because I think first and foremost it should be patient contact. But if, yes, patient contact is so important, but if we're not trying to 
raise the bar all the time to have a better patient experience and for the patient to have a better experience the only way we can do that is by raising the bar all the time making these audits to make sure we're achieving those goals because if we're not measuring it it's not getting done you know what gets measured gets managed yeah and so we have to manage and we have to measure all of the things that we're doing we have to say whether we're doing more or less than we were to be able to see what resources we need so each of those things you might think oh that's taking away my patient contact time which it may be in to one extent but to another extent you are logging exactly what you need so that you can look back and review that and say actually we need another mat we need three mats you know everyone needs three mats everyone <laughs> needs three mats everyone needs for three. sure oh, absolutely for sure that's a great point and and that's what's behind it though it's very hard for people to see that because they sometimes they'll say we're filling out these reports we're doing all these audits and we don't see stuff in return but there is stuff in return you know if you look how many staff worked in the rehab five years ago we were probably at between 420 430 staff this past week i think we've gone over 500 we're at like 507 or 509 something like that so we are getting more people it just on the ground it doesn't seem that way sometimes how do we support staff around that then how do we give people the i think by exactly what we're doing we're so good at our peer support we are phenomenal with our peer support and that is from the the easiest thing of acknowledging people you're talking about people going down the corridor with their heads down and now they have their heads up they have their heads up because someone is going to say hi to them and people talk about the nrh as being a friendly place and it is a friendly place but that we spot when people aren't okay so if someone is there has their head down in the corridor a couple of days in a row someone will seek them out and make sure that they're not okay or you pass them a couple of times and you'll get a call or you'll have someone send you an email are you okay you know, there's a number of people like that here in the organization. They are waiting, they're watching what's going on and they are there to support. You are one of those people. You've got razor vision. You pick up at things like this, you know, yeah. and, and like you say, there's lots of those people around hiding in the corridors. There are. Yeah, and the there people are, that pick very up. Lucky. And do you find that when you tell people outside that you work in the National Rehab, it's like, oh, how do you work there? But yeah. only when you're in the inside, you realise how positive it is of an, an environment. Definitely. People kind of feel sorry for you nearly, I think, when, when you say you work in the... Oh, that's a very... That must be a terrible, very difficult place to work in. And I just feel we are so privileged to work here. It's very, very hard work. And I never underestimate that. It's very hard. And sometimes here, I would say to people in my professional role, you can be here at the wrong time for you you know it sometimes can just be too hard for people and sometimes you have to move on it's not always the right place at the right time Mm. but it is a privilege to work here but it's a very hard place to work at the same time we are very it's a very positive place it's a brilliant place to work but a very hard place to work Mm. it's a great point absolutely what's your approach to your job from anyone I talk to, whenever they have a problem or whether it be with their manager or whether with their, their own life or something, they always seem to go, I'm going to go and talk to Rose Cortis. So what is your approach? Because I've come over here many a time seeking your support and I'm never sure what you do. Is it psychology? Is it arm around the shoulder? Is it street smarts? Is it core? I come away going, what happened there? I feel like I've solved the problem, but I don't actually know how you did it or what you did. What is your approach to dealing with people? 
uh, I suppose over the years I've just done various bits of courses along the way I've learned as I've journeyed and I for me the biggest takeaway is you are the expert no one has sat in Matt's shoes sat there with this life story that Matt has had so if Matt has an issue today all I have to do is ask him he's the expert and he has the answer so I don't have the answers for anyone here all I have is the questions so I ask people questions and and they solve what's going on for them so that that for me would be kind of the philosophy is that you're the expert not me yeah because I've often come over and I've left going I don't know what was going on there you know what I mean like some days it like I felt like I got a hug around the shoulder and other days I've been you know yeah it was was always because you have to challenge people as well sometimes I think when they're they're not sure and they're kind of maybe upset about something or it can be confused about something or fed up with something so sometimes it's a bit of everything you're you're challenging them to try and figure out what it is but you're also trying to help them just figure it out for themselves absolutely i got an insight to how you operate when i said to you one morning that i was thinking about doing the podcast and then i told you i had an interview with somebody and they told me what to do and you turned around and said to me you're not going to do that sure you're not and I just looked at you but in my mind I was like I fucking am going to do that <laughs> but there was a, probably a part of me where I was looking at all those tasks that I was given to get the podcast off the ground and I wasn't going to do it but it was that moment you actually got me to really pull the finger out yeah were you mindful of that? I think sometimes it is that kind of challenge bit that it's about knowing your audience, you know, and I would do um, Dignity at Work training here sometimes with staff. And I, I would say that to people from we talk about the importance of banter um, with patients in the hospital, but the limitations of banter and how it's so important to know your audience and to know where to draw the line and when to draw the line so there's that challenging bit without overstepping the mark yeah. you know and it's it's about it's about knowing your audience and know uh, it was an absolute gem it was a gem i really look back and go i don't know that i would have got off the ground if that probably wasn't said to me because i was looking at the task because he said to me go off do loads of interviews put them together then strip them down take pieces out of them and at that stage, I couldn't even open a computer. And but look the, at you. But the fact that you said it to me, you're not going to do that. I was like, fuck that. I'm definitely going to be doing that. So now we just have to challenge you to see if you can really get the podcast down to 25 minutes. Well, we're already up to 18 minutes. So we've only got 12 <laughs> more minutes to go. And I've got like 10 more questions I need to ask you. Because I, I don't think I've ever listened to one of your podcasts in totality. I have to all... I, I can't How think, very dare you say that to me? I can't get past a half an hour of a podcast, Matt. Well, we need to get you counselling on that. Yeah. I need to problem solve with you. I have on to like fast track it along, you know. <laughs> Put me on a, you know, multiply the speed of how I talk. And, and that'll finish quickly. I might have to do that. Talk to me, what's the, the diversity training that you do? The dignity at work. Training. Oh, sorry, the dignity at work training. Yeah, so I I do. Um, it's kind of, it's a very basic uh, positive working environment dignity at work training. So a number of years ago, Trasa Kenny, whom you know very well from the PWEG, our PWEG positive working environment group, our positive PWEGers. Yes, 
Positive Work and Environment Group, Trasa and myself facilitated Dignity at Work training for all of the staff. And Trasa was just phenomenal. And really, it, it was all about just being polite to people and being reasonable, acting like a reasonable human being around each other. And it was really interesting time. We did it over a year. And at that time, we did like 400 staff went through the programme. So continuing on from that, we just now do between four and six sessions a year for new staff. Mm. And we talk about stuff, you know, what what makes the NRH special? What I'd always ask, what what was special? What stood out to you about the NRH when you started to work here? And staff will say, oh, people were so friendly, you know. And then I showed them the vision from the NRH, you know, and what what would threaten the vision of giving everyone a positive experience while they're here. And then we just look at a few scenarios about what can threaten or different behaviours. Is this behaviour okay? Is that behaviour okay? And we go through different... And the groups are always really interested and then we'll chat through what's okay, what's not okay, what might be okay in different circumstances. It's really just getting people thinking about what way do I like to be treated? And if I can have people walking out the door at the end of the three-hour session saying, well, I'll be more mindful in future of the way I say something to someone or if I have a bad day and I snap at someone that I go back and just say look I'm really sorry about what happened earlier on I didn't mean it mm. or I didn't mean to offend you it's interesting the way you said that the way I like to be treated because sometimes we think I'm going to treat people the way I want to be treated yeah. you should treat people the way they want to be treated yeah yeah and it's a bit of both really do you think in 2018 19 we're in 19 now that Ireland and the healthcare industry is is diversity work and is equality work and are we how far are we down that track? Wow! Is it is equal as we we say? Is is as we do we promote inclusion as much as we'd like to think we do? I think the the HSE is good at that. In fairness, I think, but I think some of that is historic that we have a lot more women in the HSE than we would have in other big organisations just by virtue of the type of work that it is. I think historically also we've had a lot more international colleagues coming in because historically we didn't have enough from within the little pond that was Ireland. Mm. So in that sense, yes, but I think we still, that if that's at a very supervision, a superficial level. I think we have a lot more to go to kind of get all the grades right. Um, so... I think work done, but still a lot more work to do. Mm. Well, I think all the initiatives in this hospital, we, we do our best. We try our damnedest yeah. with the PUEGs, you know, all the wellness stuff that you do, all those initiatives. I think we... I think David Walsh's um, inclusion and diversity training, his open minds uh, group that came in and did training with us, I think that was fantastic. Awareness. And that was really good training and I think you know the certainly my, my takeaway from that is you know diversity isn't about them over there they're different diversity is about me I'm different and I'm unique and I think to actually have that piece of awareness is really what it's all about because if I can say well I am unique and I am different and everybody else in the room is different as well then it's not black and white it has to be shades of grey and it has to be Everyone in this room has a slightly different opinion. They've come from slightly different ways of getting to where we are right now in this moment. 
and they have an interesting story and we need to hear and glean all the best bits of information from everyone yeah i love his train i love his approach actually he's a really good guy hopefully we'll get him on the podcast maybe someday he's got an interesting background yeah very interesting yeah he'd be great to have him because i think for how he's got to where he is it's very interesting yeah he's lovely he said he come on i just have to touch he said he was back into the hospital soon so i might check in with him again yeah give him a ring you gave me his number actually you're like the the cpd queen as in courses you're always doing courses and course and course give us a little insight to some of the course you've done over the last few years what makes you so magical? Well, you have to keep moving, don't you? <laughs> Grow moss. It, like, it really is the kind of continuous learning. So I I like to, I suppose, in that sense, I love the competencies time of the year when we're actually looking at what are we going to do for next year and what what can I get to, to study next? Mm. Um, I suppose more recently, I was in Galway. I was in NUIG last year doing my uh, workplace wellness um, health promotion and workplace wellness loved that course it was a bit of a pain driving to Galway once a month but met some really interesting people and that was a really good course um, and then I did my um, I did first aid but it was mental health first aid I did that just before Christmas which was very interesting as well um, I love the smaller courses like I, I I've done a diploma in um uh, stress management that really interesting loved that um in motivational interviewing really enjoyed that i've done a little bit of a lot my father would say like jack of all trades a master of none you know stick my finger in every pie but i'm not an expert at anything does that give you then the way i used to look at when i come on the job my role is is ot based but i'm not an ot so what i try to do by doing lots of courses to try to build a toolbox that be able to pull from if need be is that a kind of approach you went at it yeah that's exactly it but i i would say i'm not an expert at anything i don't have all the answers but i'd like to think i'd know where to send you for the answers so that i and i would be very mindful of my limitations so if someone is here chatting to me and i think gosh this person really could do with more support right now I'll be able to say look these are kind of some of the things that I'd be thinking maybe this is the direction you need to go in or have you thought about looking at some of these wow that's so a great that, service you know that I I, I I would know a man who can help yeah you know if I can't help myself that's a great insight yeah question for you so if you're on a desert island you can only bring one of your courses with you what would you say the most beneficial would be to bring as in for for your job role kind of thing? For my job role? Which is the most impact from all the training you've did? I would have to say that the basic counselling skills was probably the most useful because probably 85% of my job is listening and to be able to learn how to listen properly and then to be able to let someone know that they have been heard because very often people would say actually I just I feel better now because someone has heard me so I think 
as long as there was someone else on the desert island who was going to be able to talk to me, it wouldn't be much good if I could just hear the birds. Listen to you. the birds. So you think your, the counselling was the biggest? When did you do that? Uh, the very first year I started in this job, which was about 2001, I'd say. Yeah. And I knew that I didn't want to go on to be, a, 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 you know, do a, a 10 year journey and uh, become a, count, a psychotherapist. Yeah, really. I was looking into that too. Yeah, and, and Matt, you'd be really good at that because you're very good at picking up on cues and listening to people and asking people those probing questions. But I think that whole thing of just a lot of us don't actually understand how to listen to people and just kind of take that bit of time to really hear what someone is trying to say and being able to sit in silence and give someone... We sometimes feel we have to rush in to, to fill the vacuum where there's a little bit of silence and it's only someone just trying to think and they don't get space elsewhere to think so sometimes I'm happy I'm very happy to sit here in silence and let people just try and figure it out but that's actually not innately comfortable for us until we learn it and practice it yeah absolutely because we try fix you know it's it's in our DNA to try fix and help and support people and we don't, you know, sometimes it's, it's impactful when somebody's struggling and you want to just help them. But probably the easiest thing to do is just to sit and listen. Yeah, definitely. This is a huge role and it's really difficult, I'm sure. Who supports you and what supports do you need, require? Um, so this is a big role. And in that sense, I am I'm very lucky. I have... I have the Oc Health physician that is always at the end of the phone if I needed her. She only comes on site once a month, but she's here, you know, for me if I needed her. I also have the same option as all staff to use the psychotherapist that we have contracted to us, Carolyn Kingston. So she's also available to me. And I have a very supportive line manager. You know, my my line manager is Olive Keenan and she is extremely supportive to me if I sent her an email or rang her today and said look Olive I need to talk to you she'll clear the deck I would have no question that she would make time for me because she knows that I I if I'm looking for help that I need it now that it's not like I'll see you a week on Tuesday or whatever she's she's there so and and I have friends I have family I'm lucky and I'm I'm good with boundaries you know I'm I'm good at saying, okay, this is my work. And I tell people who come here, I ask them to do that professional detachment when they leave here, leave the issues in work here. And when they try and when they're coming into work, they try and leave home life at home. Very hard to do. But I would do that mindfulness piece of saying, okay, I am now leaving all of the people here and the things I can't solve today. Leave it here. And I'll pick it up in the morning after boot camp. <laughs> Did it take you a long time to, to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And but but my nursing career has taught me that because you can't you can't be a nurse, you can't be a healthcare professional for years and years and take stuff home with you because you, you break. You will be broken. What's your thoughts around vicarious trauma then? Yeah, I think if people don't have the adequate support and supervision, I think that build up is inevitable to becoming broken 
or burnt out in some shape or form and I think it's it's tragic and what I would say to people is try and spot the signs quickly you know what what do you do how do you lose the negative energy you're building up obviously you beat it out of us at boot camp but you <laughs> no know way. That, we're, we're, we're not good at noticing our own vicarious trauma we're not we're good not. at carrying it we can spot it in others yeah it's you know it's it's a blind spot to us it's a blind spot to people yeah and i think that's why we have to be doing the preventative stuff all the time like i know stuart mckeever our rec therapist he a couple of years ago spoke to me about headspace and you know the mindfulness app and at the time i was thinking i should really do something about that i don't preventatively do mindfulness in itself and I know Maria Frampton has spoken to you about mindfulness and that so I would have started doing mindfulness then after Stuart had said it to me and I I couldn't say enough positive things about it I can't say how much it has helped in terms of just take being able to take that one step back where you're witnessing yourself and your life and I think that helps so much because if you can even take the teeniest bit of a step back and see it as an observer rather than as a participant, you're winning. Yeah, we get caught up in it. We don't. We get caught in up in the the treadmill, just rolling, rolling, just to, to take that second to to be the observer, definitely. helicopter view. Yeah, yeah, definitely that w- minute step back to be able to just see it as an observer you know if you were the alien looking at your life today what would you be thinking i'd send that fella to prison <laughs> <laughs> he'd be going to alien prison he'd be getting locked up <laughs> so what are the top tips for health professionals to stay healthy what would you what would your recommendations be as a as a knock health nurse how do people look after themselves and again, I think over the years, I, I've kind of journeyed around that and I have come up with a couple of very simple ones. I think people have to eat well, sleep well, exercise well and laugh out loud. You know, do something for their mental health. Do have some fun. I think fun is completely underrated so you know that that mindfulness piece looking after your mental health is so important we're getting better at that but we're still not great and it's still seen as a little bit like oh you know it's it's not looked down on but it's just kind of seen as the weaker link or the, the the less less important compared to other things whereas i think it's just as important as eating a good diet getting out there and doing your bit of exercise and also the other one, sleeping, cannot, cannot overestimate the importance of Absolutely. great sleep, which you have put me on to with uh, Matt, Matt, you, Matt you Walker. What a great podcast that was. Yeah. Do you know what I find about, like, say, the mindfulness, the meditations and all this? Now, I'm only talking from my own uh, perspective. I would use it prescriptively. I would go to it when I need it. You know, when, you know, I was feeling down or feeling anxious or whatever, whatever. I, I'll go and I'll grab that now and I'll use that to fix me. But I think what you just said there, the basics mm. can be just done and it can be very preventative. The sleep, the eating, the exercising, the laughing. They can just be done every day, every regularly day. And, and 
can stop you reaching for the meditation because I've often been in a great space and been in great form and I think I haven't been using meditation then when I'm not feeling great I'll run for something to try fix it what do you think yeah absolutely and I, I think it's the it's the little bits of the preventative bit that just stops you having to go and get the big guns and that was something that kind of jumped out at me in my course in Galway last year and that workplace wellness and they we had a whole lecture we had a three-hour lecture on green and blue spaces and the importance of green and blue spaces and how people who were able to just take an instant to appreciate a blue sky or a bit of green grass was just so important and people felt so much better and even they they did all of this research around how you know even like people say living in Ireland it's so grey if you actually are out there you will very often see in amongst that grey there are little pockets of blue and it, just take the moment to actually take yourself out of what you're thinking and look for the blue bits. You'll see the blue bits. And likewise, we're in the Emerald Isle. There is green all around us. It is so calming, so serene, so positive for us that if we can just take that moment, it doesn't have to be, I'll do a half an hour meditation or anything like that. It is literally get up and smell the roses or in this instance, just have a look at the patch of green grass that's on the corner it's creating that gap in conscious, isn't it? That's it. Just that, that little window. Teeny little window makes such a big difference. To take you down from the upstairs department, just bring you back down and just get that gap between the, whether it be the negative thoughts or the just the, that repetitiveness of or just the hustle and bustle of everyday life, just finding that gap between conscious. That's it. And I think, you know, very often when, when we look at diet and we say, it's, it's when we need the, Good food is the time very often when we're most under pressure or we're most stressed and that's when we're most likely to go for the takeaway, go for the chocolate, go for the crisps and that's the time we need it most. Likewise, we're most inclined then to stay up. We don't want to go to work in the morning because we know it's going to be a stressful day. I know I certainly would sit on the couch on a Sunday evening and say, I don't want to go to bed on Sunday night because it'll be Monday then when I wake up. The fear. Rubbish. Whereas really, if you're saying, it's all the reason I need to go to bed, early to give myself that sleep opportunity and I used to always think before you know okay try and get seven hours sleep or whatever now I'll say okay try and give myself a sleep opportunity of longer so that if I don't get to sleep quickly or if I wake up during the night or whatever I still have enough sleep in between but we it's when we need the most that we're most likely to avoid it. I don't have time to do mindfulness. I don't have time to eat well. I'll I work late. I'll grab a takeaway on the way home. I'm gonna because I worked so long. I need to unwind now. So I'll watch DVD before I go to bed. I'll watch Netflix, you know. And there are all the times that you're like, okay, really, I should have like a shower and go to bed early, you know, having taken the time to cook something nice and simple and just human behaviors is bonkers yeah, isn't it we have it backwards like you mean when you say to people like exercise eat well sleep we then put figures on them you must eat a certain way then you must exercise a certain way then you must sleep a certain time they're like oh it all gets so big but if you just like have a little tip away at them all yeah and get all the little ducks in a row no matter what it looks like even if you're just making some kind of contribution to it you'll get benefits you said it Matt and you have given such good advice to people all through this organisation on all of those things I've heard you like we go and I know I'm only talking from experience 
I must be on this diet. I must be doing this X. I must join Ben Dunn's. I must go. To, and then all of a sudden, it just be this accumulation of another load of fucking hassle. Yeah. And you go, oh, I'll just do nothing. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we over bombarded, let's say, with with too much information about it all, probably sometimes. I think, yeah. When you just said the simplicities of things, just eat, sleep. pair it all back. What do you need to do? Eat well, sleep well, exercise well, and laugh a bit. Yeah. Do you think, we, again, we're back to what we say as an organisation, there's a lot more laughing and fun going on, isn't there? Yeah. I used to feel like a little bit inappropriate sometimes at meetings, I'd be trying to have the crack. You know, I wouldn't be unprofessional, but just trying to create that bit of, I'd done it even in college with lectures and they used to think I was a bit mad. But I wanted to think, yeah, it's serious sometimes, but you can also be human and have a bit of crack. We're getting better at that. Here in the yeah. NRH, we yeah. definitely are. Yeah, we definitely are. And I think it's that sense of, you know, being part of something bigger than ourselves. So, like, we're all working in, not in isolation, we're working as a team. So that whole thing of, being part of something bigger that we are and being connected to something where we are connected to an amazing organization we're part of this phenomenal um machine that produces fantastic results and we are getting better at just being able to lighten it a bit and being able to find that right level between the very serious and somber stuff and the let's lighten it let's have the 60 second giggle at the start and at the end and yeah. just lighten the load for everyone and that feeds into patients like they like that it's it's human then you know we, we're taking a clinical sterile approach away they yeah. know we they, they well believe in us that we're capable of being professional and getting a great job done but to see that we can laugh and have the crack and open up a little bit to them and that's the that whole banter piece of knowing your audience and being able to you know and so many of our patients would say that's what got them through was knowing that Matt would come in and have the crack or that such and such a the HCAs would come in and you know role. just yeah absolutely you know find the funny side in something and to jolly them along and that has just makes such a difference because really you know is our glass half full is our glass half empty we have to make the best of of what we have and just lightening that load a little bit and finding that bit of humor i think Irish in general people we you know we we tend to to find the crack and things so what kind of projects are you working on at the moment initiatives and to promote health and well-being in the in the hospital um well I I think for 2019 our positive working environment group Matt yeah P Weggers you are central to the whole thing we are looking at we do so many things in the organization that it's very important for us now to just pause we need to hit that pause take stock and say okay let's pull together all of the things that we're doing into some kind of an orderly format and actually put it into like it's like a big jigsaw puzzle we have done so many things over the years and we have so much going on in terms of staff health and well-being but they're not all connected and they're not all communicated as well as they could be, that it's time for us now, I think, to put all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together and see what pieces are still missing. Because there are always going to be pieces missing. But, you know, it looks to me like we have, if it was a 100-piece jigsaw puzzle, we probably have an 80, 80 pieces, but we need to see 
what are the pieces that are still missing what are fitting well together what are not fitting well together so I think you know we're we're good on the physical things we're also very good on the intellectual supports that we give our staff we were very supportive in the environment of getting people to go and get further training and um, I think with our suicide awareness training and you've done you, you're in a, a safe talk um, trainer which is fantastic and we offer that assist training you do the assist training as well that you know those things are great supports for staff that we're adding in more hopefully this year we'll get code lavender off the ground i don't know when but i would like to think that sooner or later we'll get schwartz rounds off the ground that there's there's a lot more in the mental health piece that we can do to support each other um and i think that we just need to draw it all together and see where our gaps are now because we we have so many supports available to people what has worked i think really well for us are some of the the shorter sharper ones you know i mean we have the likes of boot camp and pilates and yoga on the go all the time i think staff have really liked the kindfulness kind of days that we've had brilliant great um, feedback about but that. you know i think to now just pause have a look see what do we have what do staff want and where are the gaps and what can we reasonably achieve in 2019? In relation to us and other hospitals, we're up there, we're, we're providing staff with the, the support and services, aren't we? Absolutely. We're, we're very lucky. We're very, very lucky. Um, our senior management has seen that as a priority and I, I, I don't ever remember going with a plan to senior management and saying can I try this where they have said no absolutely you're not trying this they've always said they might have questioned me and said you know do you think it's the right time do you think this will work or how does it work and how do you see it um but once it's about staff well-being they're very supportive because they recognize that our staff are our greatest assets you know mm. there's absolutely no way in this world that we would achieve the results that we achieve without the absolute gold staff that we have. You know, the staff here are just absolutely phenomenal and by far and away the greatest asset an organisation could ever, ever have. And I know you're not saying that uh, just to blow smoke up anyone's back. So no. I know you really believe it and I believe it too. Yeah. I know I have a little moan and a bitch with my own staff sometimes, just, but we do it together and I never outside the organisation because I truly believe us as a collective is an mm. amazing organisation. And the fact that, and just to go back on your point, I was supported when it came to my own personal development going on courses I've done more courses here than I can yeah. remember and I wasn't even a full time member I was a, a part time staff member I was doing like 9 to 5 but I was on a flexi contract yeah. but just the hospital still supporting if, we're brilliant uh, yeah. at that we are very very good at that intellectual support definitely because the more informed our staff are the in better patient experience and better patient outcomes and we know i mean research shows over and over again that staff well-being affects patient outcomes and it is that the bottom line for us here is it's all about patient outcomes you know and i've done like interviews and i've interviewed previous uh patients or trainees from the rtu they talk so highly about staff 
and they're gone out of the organisation. They've no need to, to, to plan as anybody, but they do speak highly about staff. Sometimes they might have a moan about the services or whatever. That's not our role. That's uh, just the system sometimes, but the people, the service, you know. Definitely. People are working with their heads and their hearts 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Come here. What's the one thing you'd like people to take away after listening to this interview? Um, that Matt is only going to do thirty minute podcasts <laughs> here, <laughs> so he'll double his audience that way. We're forty eight minutes at the moment. <laughs> you can cut it back. Um, I think really the biggest takeaway for me would be you are your own expert. You know, believe, listen to yourself, believe in yourself and you are your expert. And I'm here to point anyone in the right direction. But if, if we can just believe in listening to ourselves and looking after those four pillars of eat well, sleep well, exercise well and laugh. Fantastic. No one is more suited to their job than you. Like, I mean, you do all that to the best of your ability. Like, I mean, look how inspirational you are. You decided to do pull-ups last year. You've never done a full pull-up. <laughs> and you decided by the end of the year, you'll uh, be able to do a pull-up. And within six or seven months, you were doing pull-ups. Barely. So, barely assisted. No, 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 no. You got pull-ups, but, but you just <sighs> changed. You pushed the, the, the bar out and you wanted to do two or three. Oh, I know. Continuous. Yeah. yeah. So but me, I had a very good trainer there twice a week, Matt. I and give over, I give over. So come here, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. You're an absolute legend. The organisation uh, would be lost without you. I'm absolutely delighted to have sat down and hopefully people will get what I got out of it. Inspiration and motivation. Thanks a million, Matt. Deadly. Thanks for going on the show. 49 minutes. Okay, so there wraps up another tremendous interview. As always, I'd like to thank my supports, Noel Royley. From Rooney Media, Noel has been in the graphic design business the last 20 years and producing quality work. For the last couple of years, they've been the chief graphic design for the college prospectus at UCD. Um, I've been using his services the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, producing posters for health and fitness stuff and always, always producing quality work. So check those guys out. Also, my old pal Carolyn Harvey from ISA Nutrition. For anybody interested in dropping body fat, gaining muscle, maintaining a healthy body weight, getting rid of some nutritional ailments, she's your woman. If you're also interested in competing bodybuilding competition, male or female, I would recommend her. I am currently working with Carolyn Harvey and the success has been phenomenal. I have done a review already and I plan to do more. But if nutrition and strength condition, that area is something that you'd like to get coaching or advice on, I would check it out and the prices are really, really good, really good, better than a lot that's out there. So I recommend you check her out. Also, Miel Crew, Kevin Doyle, sound editing and just producing and just support. Absolutely legend, Kevin. And Miel, mate, Aaron Kyo, social media. Lads, you are brilliant. The team uh, would be lost without you. Okay, so that just leaves me to thank my listeners. Thanks a lot for listening. I will urge you, please, 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 share this with family and friends. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all the kind of podcast mediums that are out there. We're, we're on them right the way across. We also have a YouTube channel, uh, so check us out on that. 
please go on to itunes please subscribe please leave a delicious review we love it absolutely love it so that's all the plugging i'm going to do for this podcast as always i will say to you please show yourself compassion please spend some time with love and kindness in your life because if you are kind and loving to yourself you will project that to the rest of the world and if we can all could do that a small percentage of our day the place would be a nice nice place to live right wherever you are in the world mind yourself have a great day bye bye